0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 162 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have some great guests on. We've got the inventor of the bark code, now, and and he's an old cowboy now. He's got horses, and I, I love it. He's got a great story, and we've got Marty Irby and Monty Roberts and Donna Benefeld on too and they are doing amazing work. She has worked in Hollywood and and has known everybody in this world of horses in Hollywood. And I think they've got something really important to say and some fun information about the Tennessee walking horse. This is Debbie Loux and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. The Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month and as always I have my producer Jen with me today. Hi Jen. Greetings. Hi Jen. I'm so glad to have you back on and I wanted to brag on us for a bit. <gasps> brag
1: did- on you. I know the big event of the season just happened,
0: didn't it? Oh, it was my biggest event all year and it worked. It was wonderful. I it mean didn't we rain had rain on you. No. almost oh, didn't God. lose power. power. Summertime? No, we didn't. (laughs) No, it's beautiful. Everybody was beautiful. Well, tell everybody what it was. The movement. The movement. Twenty twenty. This is our third annual now, and uh, we had, you know, we had some hiccups through the COVID thing, not knowing what we were going to do, right? But we finally got to settle on staying legal. We couldn't have an audience there, right? No gathering, but we could have, of course, working farm. And so we had Dr. Siemens, Dr. Madison Siemens brilliant on the equine vision he's and behavior you know and he's just a genius on all that just outside the box thinker working with monty of course which would be just like isn't that the best and then of course jamie jennings was his right hand person a certified instructor that was fun because they just played off each other using the horse as the podium and screen is the way we were describing it because they could you know instead of a powerpoint that would be ridiculous. We had
1: a real live horse. Yeah. We had a real live horse. Well, yeah. For people who want to go and check it out because the movement is kind of an all-encompassing 30,000 foot view Gosh. of yeah. the latest in enlightened horsemanship. Right. So, it happened and you guys streamed it via Horse and Country TV did it for yeah. you. Can we That's still right. see it now that it's done?
0: You can. It'll be on demand. Just go to the website www dot the movement 2020.com you'll get all the information you need there and how to see the on demand that's really cool now if i have a poor
1: memory which i do <laughs> if <laughs> if i go to dot com, mm-hmm. am i going to yes. find be able to eventually find my way to the movement
0: the tab at the top has Yay. the movement on it thank brilliant, you Daddy, uh, you're brilliant. so smart that is a very good question i
1: can remember dot com. i can remember yeah that.
0: Very good. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of information there too, but we made it real easy by putting a tab at the top.
1: There we go. Well, yeah. that was pretty Epic. Yes. Me. It was pretty. Epic.
0: It like none
1: other like, like none other. well, none other. well and it's going to be, be even better like next year because it's annual and crossing our
0: fingers We'll ha- be yeah. able to have lots of live folks show up for it next year. Yeah. Uh, that's right. That's right. It'll be really fun. It'll be that experience everybody was hoping to have this year. But this one was different. I, I think we kind of set a bar. It was. It was yeah. really different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I.
1: I. You know. Maybe next year you'll have both. Maybe next year we will have it
0: streamed as well as
1: for folks who want to show up in person. Because sometimes people very much want to witness it. But yeah. being able to travel to Flag, flag is Ups Farm. A lot to ask. Not yeah. always available. And you can only fit a limited number of people there.
0: That's true. Right. That is exactly so, true. Yeah. I'm kind yeah, of no, I'm voting for that that option, both. A hybrid, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a hybrid, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have an event, but we don't. And what we might do is like, we rolled over the tickets so that really the live streaming was something provided and then people could keep their ticket for next year. So we've already got the dates for that in June. And so I think people really want to get together. So we might have a thing where it sells out a certain level. And then after that you can get the streaming. Yeah. You know, and so get in while you can, when the tickets become available, but So, you know, don't feel like if you're in Dubai or something that you, you know, you don't have to make that trek and buy a hotel room and all those things, too. So, you know, a hybrid is kind of a fun idea now that we know we could do it.
1: Speaking of epic things, we've got an epic show coming up with two incredible guests. And we're going to get right to that after we hear from our title sponsor, Finish Line Fencing.
0: Well, I'm here again with Kim and Lisa, and we're talking about finish line fencing because I get a lot of questions from people who are trying to put up one thing or another, and they know now about finish line fence and your product. But here's some of the questions that I get, or at least one biggie. What's the difference between finish line fencing, the one, the original, and finish line XL?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Debbie. Like I mentioned before, the original finish line has actually been out for over 30 years now. And that one was actually developed for horse safety. It's it's 1,250 pounds of tensile strength, it's four millimeters in diameter, and it's available on a spool. And one spool only weighs about 24 pounds. So it's very lightweight and easy to handle. XL, um, on the other hand, has been out for a few years now. It is 1,850 pounds of tensile strength, five millimeters diameter. And it it really just adds to the visibility, that that thicker diameter
0: to it. So that's the main feature of that is so that you can see it a little bit more from a distance aesthetically or for uh, visibility for the animals?
3: Yes, that that was one of the main reasons. And actually it was an answer we came up with this because a lot of our customers keep their cattle and the horses together. We right. needed to come up with a solution for them. So we needed something a little higher tensile strength. So by increasing the diameter, which gave you the beautiful line to look at and more visibility, mm-hmm. it also gave you that added tensile strength. So that way the horses and cattle, when they were worried about not maybe it not being strong enough at 1250, mm-hmm. the original. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, we came out with this and it's actually very popular, still very economical and, and it's really in high demand right now. I'll put it this way, thirty years ago we used to sell about one percent black. Now it's about three percent black. And I think it's more of a trend in in style
0: you know if you've got both colors available they should counsel with you on what's going to be the best look and the best safety for their horses for their particular region i imagine green backgrounds versus sandy arizona backgrounds you know might make the difference thanks for sharing all that too so where do people find you how do they get a hold of you
2: so there are a few different ways that you can reach us. You have a website. It's finishlinefence.com. Our Facebook page is Finish Line Fence, or you can give us a call at 877-625-6100. You can order online. We have a full shop on our website. You can give us a call. We'd be happy to get you a quote for free. I mean, we do ship out daily and worldwide as well. We're We're very quick on shipping. We usually ship out the same day, if not the next business day.
0: From an early age, Paul McKenro developed from his father a love of horses, ranching, and the West. However, the only fields available were fields of dreams, as home was a modest home in the middle of Dayton, Ohio. But at the University of Dayton, Paul went to grad school at Purdue, where in his student saddle club, he found his first opportunity to ride. He taught himself to ride and jump, too, from library books, dutifully following the recommendation Not to use stirrups. Upon graduation in 1960, Paul married, moved to California, and began an engineering career working at IBM and pursued an additional graduate degree from Stanford. In 23 years at IBM, he developed numerous products the world depends on to this day, including the UPC barcode, the barcode wand, and laser scanners. He's done amazing things in the original IBM PC keyboard was under his tutelage. Later at Trilogy, he developed the multi chip module. All of these products have been featured in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And Paul co founded the McKinroe Reading and Language Arts Clinic at UCSB, was president of the Santa Barbara County Cattlemen's Association, and serves on a number of nonprofit boards. In retirement now, he raises horses and cattle on Rancho La Purisima in the San Inez Valley, on which he and his wife Tina reside. And entertain their grandchildren. Well, welcome, Paul. Paul McKinroe. How are you today?
4: I'm absolutely great.
0: I'm glad. I'm so I'm so happy that we can finally have you on. You're part of my sort of legacy series for the San Inez Valley. You're just iconic there. And I know you don't consider yourself that, so I will say it out loud. But it's really fun to get to know so many great horsemen in the valley and you be one of those but it's also really interesting to hear backgrounds of those people that end up in in the horse industry in one form or another and you know it's it's one of those things that a lot of people aspire to 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 finally leave the city and get out on a horse and ride into the sunset basically doing whatever you want you're an interesting guy in that you use different saddles in your in your lifetime too you've you've ridden some different horses too so i thought it would be fun if you told us a little bit about your childhood with horses i know it wasn't much with horses but it must have been enough to spark something in you to want to look further no. and then i then i want you to tell me about ireland you know after that but tell me a little bit about okay. the, yeah that desire that that seed that got planted young Okay.
4: Well, sure. So, you know, I got my love of the horses, I think, from my father. I was very close to my dad. We were a family that didn't have uh, very many resources, uh, living in the inner city of Dayton, Ohio, which was a great place, but you know no no space, and you know no no resources to speak of. So no thought of ever even having a horse or whatever, and had a dog, which was great. yeah, and but my dad, who had an interesting life, he had grown up in Iowa. His parents died when he was uh, nearly born, and he was taken in as an indentured servant and uh, worked on a farm, but they never sent him to school. and But he learned to love animals, and he raised them on the farm, and he took care of the other kids' ponies. He wasn't able to go to school, but he took care of their ponies and cleaned up for them and kept the fire going at the one-room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. And and this is a long time ago. He's much older than I. He was born in 1891. Wow. So anyway, after World War One, he met my mother, who had gone to Idaho, where her father had homesteaded a property, and met her, and they were married. And then 20 years later, they still didn't have any kids. They adopted me, picked me out of a lineup in <laughs> in a in, in Michigan, and like oh, trailer house rule. Cool. Cool. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> I came home. But and I didn't know I was adopted. But anyway, at that time I didn't find out until I was in my twenties. Wow. And but the dad my dad told me stories at night, you know, about the West and uh because uh, after he uh, had been kind of abused on this farm, he ended up uh, stealing a horse and running away from the oh. situation and he got on the horse and rode it to Idaho when he was twelve years old in nineteen oh three. I kind
0: of earned it, so maybe.
4: <laughs> yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it was his horse that the guy, the, the owner, sold. And, you know, he had saved, traded all his little animals that they gave him one at a time up for the horse. Then they sold the horse. Then mm-hmm. he went and stole the horse pack and rode it to Idaho. And, and uh, he ended up in a little silver mining town and ended up being the barber of the town. And he was a barber the rest of his life. So they came mm-hmm. back and as they said 20 years later, they adopted me. I uh, just listened to these stories about the West, you know, and he had heard the same thing, go man! What he did when he was 12 on the back of a horse. And so anyway, I, I did get that chance. I mentioned the ranch in Idaho that the family had. And so I had an aunt who lived out there and another aunt took me out one time when I was 10 years old and they brought a the, the little horse from the neighboring ranch over and I got to sit on that. And, and on the way out, I stopped in Iowa and I got to sit on a, Two thousand pound draft horse, draft mare, and I I, I love that. (laughs) So anyway, march on, and I go to school, and I I I I happen to be at Purdue Graduate School, and they had a a saddle club, and I joined the saddle club, and it was just nose to tail riding, which was you know pretty boring, but nevertheless it was a horse. And then, but they had these great horses, and they said if you could ride those horses. You know, it would really be great because they're one of them would had been a state chicken jumper, but uh, they you had to pass a test to ride the horse. Well, I couldn't pass a test because I had never ridden a horse before, so essentially, <laughs> <laughs> uh, being a student of engineering, you know, I went to the library. This is before oh. uh, <laughs> you know, phones or anything like that, and I, I read. Uh, some old books written by some of the classic guys, you know, from the 1920s and thirties and so on. First forward seat riding Capelli and so on and so forth. And so I just did whatever he said. So I got up, I had to be up in the middle of the night to work on my computer because that's the only time you could get computer time in those days, you know, computers Uh, were just coming out. And so at three o'clock in the morning, I'd go out to the field and find the horses. And I went out and I fed this horse oats and stuff out of a bucket because Oh, I didn't tell you. They they told me that you didn't have to take the test if you could stay on this horse in the arena for five minutes, <laughs> uh, because you know he had been known to get rid of all riders. Yeah. Uh, so, so I studied how to you know fix a horse. I found out en- what he did. You he engineered the ride.
0: Backwards.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He reared up and went over backwards whenever you put weight in the stirrup. So I borrowed uh-huh. a saddle, and I put the saddle on him, and I, I went out, and I experimented with putting weight in the stirrup. Sure enough, you just stand on the ground next to him, push your foot, put put your hand down, put a little pressure on the stirrup. He'd wear up and fall over backwards. But I finally found out he loved me because he followed me all around, and I gave him oats every night for uh-huh. three weeks.
0: And he didn't and have so to flip over not... anymore, right? So, you, yeah. You I per- know.
4: And, 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 <laughs> and so I told everybody I'm ready to take the test, and they had like 150 students lying the arena to see the
1: boy. Yeah. <laughs>
4: and he just walked around like a gentleman you know mm-hmm. and so anyway that was my first horse uh, later on long story i won't tell you he i, I was able to lose the horse for the rest of my time at purdue and i just loved it and then i i got married came to california and I was you know I, I was going to school at, at stanford and working at ibm and San Jose, and I had no time for horses. And if you want the Irish story, I'll throw it in right now. No, I love um, the
0: Irish story. I want the Irish story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well,
4: a decade later, and I haven't ridden in that decade. IBM sends me on a trip to Europe. It was kind of a road trip for some stuff I'd done, and uh, we were going to spend a weekend in Ireland and then start the business trip in in London the next next day. And so I went over there and at the last minute, long story, again, I won't tell you all the details, but my wife couldn't make it. So I'm alone. But my wife and I had scheduled a weekend in Ireland. And so I landed from New at Shannon Airport. We got off the plane and, and I went up to the tour that we had signed up to take. And I thought, okay, I'll just take the tour. It was a castles and pubs tour around Ireland for two days. Three Perfect. days. And so I went to the beautiful young lass at the counter and uh, said, you know, I'm Paul Matera, I'm here to take the tour. She, oh, why? Wow, B, you know, it's just, you're the only people who signed up, so it's just you and your wife and me on the tour. And oh. so wait a minute, the wife didn't make it, yeah. you know? <laughs> Okay, so, well, this is obviously gonna work. So I said, uh, what else can I do? And she says, well, we have all these different things. And so she what would you like to do? So. I said, "Well, on the way over, I saw these beautiful pictures in the Aer Lingus magazine about fox hunting. Oh, yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who has a horse. I'll set you all up for that tomorrow morning. Blah blah blah. So, okay. So uh, tomorrow morning, uh, some ungodly hour, somebody comes to my hotel room and they say, 'Yeah, we're here to take you to the horse.' You know? Did you so did I you have? Down.
0: Did you have the clothes that were appropriate for this at all?
4: I was wearing IBM wingtip brogues, uh-huh. uh, IBM uh, dress pants, a uh, chartreuse turtleneck that I uh, had okay. brought along for you know social things, and okay. no helmet and no helmet. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Well, and, what, and, what would you need so a helmet I
0: and a boot for?
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No boots. Yeah. And, and so the guy takes me off to this place near There. In you know Western Ireland, and it's a thatched roof house, and the horse lives in one half, and the people live in the other half.
0: Of course, and, yeah. and,
4: and so he says, "Well, where's your saddle?" And I don't have one of those either. So, oh well, I'm sorry, we don't have a saddle. Well, wait, here's an old flat saddle we could put that up. So, old farmer's flat saddle.
5: Oh, good. One good farmer's a
4: half in gray gelding, right? And okay. uh, Now remember, I haven't been on a horse in ten years. And yeah. It was just that horse at that Purdue. Anyway. He puts the horse in a trailer and he takes me to the meet. And I get to the meet, and there's like a hundred horses, and a hundred riders. And they're all decked out. They're in pink coats and black coats, and everything is top hats. And yeah. here I am in a shirtless turtleneck with right. IBM pants. It didn't and stick shoes. out at
0: all. I'm sure. and,
4: I, and I said, "Well, with I, I can." Horse. They introduced me to the master. The, the farmer takes me to the master introduces me, and I said, "You know, well, sir, I can see I'm not dressed and uh it's improper, and uh you know it's okay, no problem. I'll just go back to the hotel. He, no, 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 we love you Californians you
1: know?
4: <laughs> 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 and we don't get you very often, you know, and then he turns to the farmer and he says, But he said, but he said, I'll tell you he says." Uh, I want you to ride to the front. He says, don't stay to the back. It's been raining solid for uh, six weeks now. And oh. You'll be to your knees in the muck at every wall, right. every fence, you know. And and the farmer says, oh, sir, he says, you need needn't worry at all about that. He said, we've rented him the, uh, the big gray gelding, the five-year-old with the mouth of steel. He'll be to the yeah. front like they or not, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the mouth of steel. Yeah.
4: And so yeah. I thought that was great. And so mm-hmm. anyway, I hunted for six hours that day and, you know, oh, spent gosh. the next day, most of it in a, uh, in a, in a bathtub trying yeah. to <laughs> get them sore. And it was, it was an amazing event. Yeah. I mean, there were places where we rode through farmer's fields. I mean, little house, the paddocks and the, the, they they got a car out there with a trailer behind it, and the first horses through are jumping the trailer, and then the, I'm, I'm sorry, the hitch, and then they're jumping the trailer, and then they're jumping the car. The farmer's in the car, holding <laughs> his hands over his head like a Volkswagen. And you know, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing.
0: Like a hundred horses anyway, in this, huh? And what a yeah, surreal. And were, did you stay in the front too? And you, I
4: stayed as close as I could. I made yeah. the whole thing. I think I, I don't think there were 20 or 25 maybe that finished after the oh, six okay. hours. Okay. And toward the end, I'm running down a hill across a side hill, and there's a road. The road's dirt, you know, and on either side of it is a ditch, and on either side of the ditch, uh, between the ditch and the road, is are bushes and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you come mm-hmm. flying across there, and you got to jump the stone wall And the bushes and land on the road, and then one more stride, and then you're jumping the other side. And I think I lost the stirrup on one side, and I lost the other stirrup on the other side. We're galloping down the hill, and this Irishman comes in. He's got this top hat on, he's sitting very well. I'm just getting my stirrups back, and we're still galloping. And He says, Be boys, be boys. He says, You need a drink, you know. And so, you need a a drink. Now, by the way, it's pouring rain the whole time.
0: Of course, yeah, it's and Ireland. He, he reaches
4: yeah. out his flask. So I, I'm not a drinker. Right? At that time, I was kind of a teetotaler. But I figured, yeah, I need it now. So I reached over to get the drink, and uh-huh. he uh, was like, he was teasing me. He kept pulling it back. What is going on here? Why is this guy offering me the, the you know the, I think it was brandy and uh, pork. You know, why am I being offered this? And he keeps pulling it back. And he's saying something each time I can't understand. Finally, i figure it out. He's saying, boy, don't grab it with your hand around the bottom. Put your hand over the top so the water doesn't get in. He's oh. worried about the diluting. Diluting. <laughs> diluting his blue. <laughs>
0: That's Irish. <laughs> That's very Irish, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. I have Irish relatives. So I can say that out loud, too. So <laughs> That's fantastic. I, everybody should should have some kind of crazy experience like that on a horseback sometime where they can share that story. That's a great story. And, uh, and, and so how did you, I mean, I I know that you end up with a cattle ranch, and you're on the cattleman's board, and you're completely Western now, or have been. You also still do foxhound events i think you, aren't you still on a board of the are you a master of the yeah. you're a master of the yeah I'm, I'm
4: the master yeah i've been a master since 97.
0: yeah oh there there you go so and how do you get to the San Inez valley and how do you stay with horses when you've become one of the most famous i'm sure one of the more famous employees at ibm and that you're involved with the uh, barcode and so much uh, technology yeah. that we all use today all of us are so, I mean, how yeah, do you Yeah,
4: well, basically, connect you know, the, that, the, yeah. The, the, the quick version of that is uh, yeah, I, I spent my career at, at IBM. And uh, uh, I did start breeding. Well, when my daughter turned six, uh, my oldest, I went and bought her a pony, a shake a take pony of all. And oh, and nice. then I you know, was leaning on a post watching her go around in circles. And I thought, this is terrible. I could get myself a horse. So I bought a horse too. And then I decided, well, you know, i got to make a business out of this. I was coming a businessman, you know. So uh, even though I was working full-time at IBM, I bought a little five-acre property, and we uh, put some horses on it. Then I went off to Kingland and bought some racehorse broodmares and started breeding horses. That was in 1972. And so I bred horses all the time when I was at IBM, but I only had – well, I started off with five acres, and I got 25 and so on. But whatever. That went for – 25 years. And at the end of not quite 25 years, I moved to California, was offered the presidency of a company called Trilogy Systems Corporation, which had been founded by Gene Amdahl, one of the geniuses of the world. And it was a big. We, we made the biggest computers in the world at that time using wafer scale integration. So I left IBM to do that. I came out here and you know, I did the Trilogy thing for about Actually, I worked out a merger for Digital Equipment Corporation to buy Trilogy, which they did. So that went from about 84 to 94. And then in 84, when I moved to California, I switched from raising thoroughbred racehorses to warmbloods. And so we raised warmbloods. So I bought five acres in Los Gatos, California, Northern California, near Trilogy, which it was in Cupertino, and, and I always had desire to be a rancher. I always wanted to be a cowboy, but I didn't have any time, no time, no time. And so I said, I'm retiring in 55, period. And okay. 55 came along. I had lost a wife to a car accident four years before. Yeah. But then several years later, my, my daughter was in Santa Barbara, and she had a couple of my horses down here, and another lady, She's now my wife. Tina had daughters and they rode at the same stable and we met and we got married. And we she's a cowgirl, you know, queen yeah. of the Salinas Rodeo, and so That's on and so right. forth. And so trained by Ronnie Roberts' parents. <laughs> yeah. Aww. And and so I retired in nineteen ninety-four and I wanted to buy a ranch. So, you know, we looked in the San Inez Valley. I luckily Brooks Firestone was selling his wonderful ranch, so we bought the ranch, and then we got into breeding in a big way, and I couldn't even spell cow at the time, and, (laughs) you know, I... I learned to spell cow, so I became a cattleman.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you and, even got uh, to cattleman. Been that
4: doing it ever work. since.
0: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. You, you've you've contributed so much to the San Andreas Valley too, and not only just the equestrian world, but you know, as a good solid citizen too. And appreciate you being on the board and Tina's work with education, your work with education too, and all the things that you've done there. And I'd I'd love to have you back sometime. Be fun to have you and Tina too, and talk a little bit about her side of the of that McEnroe collection there too and her stories too. Yeah. But anyway, Joy, you know, I am so happy to share you with our listeners and I think they'll be thrilled (laughs) with your stories and there's more to come. I'm sure you got any more stories up your sleeve.
4: Uh, it, it, it's terrible. I got so many stories. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually starting to, I'm writing a book. I've got about oh, the first hundred pages done now and I'm trying to put a lot of the stories in it. But the problem is, you know, the, the book is written mostly about the barcode and I'd love to put some of the horse stories in, you but I have the horse then. Oh yeah. how do I get the horse stories in the barcode
5: book? Easy Maybe peasy. I, you know, the
0: barcode know. paid for the horses. So there you go. And now you just yeah. segue right well, in there.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what we love anyway. Tina, wants, we, me
5: to,
4: Tina yeah. wants me to call it the code of a code of a cowboy.
0: <laughs> oh, see, that's pretty good. See, she combined it. There you go. She segwayed in. <laughs> She's a smart lady. Keep her. Well, Paul McKenro, thank you so much for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Sure.
6: No problem. Uh, Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts Online University. You know, There ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home, but three months now, I've been home with this virus thing and the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series. What horses see, how horses see, and about horses seeing things. The online university is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you, is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University, uh, you won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you, and it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation.
0: Marty Irby is the executive director of the Animal Wellness Action, and he recently added Donna Benefield of Gallatin, Tennessee, to the organization's list as the organization's new senior advisor on equine protection. Benefield was instrumental in the formation of the four USDA-certified inspection programs over the past 30 years, where she inspected thousands of gated horses and is the past president of the National Plantation Walking Horse Association. A lifelong horsewoman, Benefield is one of the most prominent students of the late Glenn H. Randall Sr., who trained horses ranging from the Cavalry Mounts to Roy Rogers' Palomino Trigger to Gene Autry's Champion and many other movie horses, too, featured in countless films like Ben-Hur and the Black Stallion, to name a few. A former two-time Emmy Award-winning producer, Benefield and her late husband, Richard, worked with equines in numerous films, including the 1991 blockbuster, The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis, and the hit series, Dark Shadows. She was introduced to the world of Tennessee walking horses by the late Joan Blue, a longtime equine advocate that you'll know that worked to pass the Horse Protection Act of 1970. Well, welcome. I've got Marty Irby, Monty Roberts, and Donna Benefield, all on the line together. And I think we're in three different time zones, if I recall. Is that right, Donna? Yes, I'm in the central. You're in the central time zone. You're in Tennessee now, as we speak? Correct. Great. And Marty, I understand you were just talking to a senator earlier today, so you must be in Washington.
5: I am. I'm just a few blocks from our nation's capital that doesn't have many, very many people at it right now.
0: <laughs> no, that's a good point. We're in the middle of the COVID thing, too. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you. And, Monty, you're not even home. You're uh, you're up in San Francisco with the uh, thoroughbred, I believe.
7: That's correct. I'm at Golden Gate Park in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area.
0: Yeah, exciting, you guys. Well, it's wonderful. We were all able to pull you together. And we're recording this today because we've got some news And we want to hear some news. So I'll start with you, Donna, if I could, and welcome as the new senior advisor on equine protection for the animal wellness uh, organization that Marty has been a part of now, the animalwellnessaction.org. Very excited to have you as part of the team there because we could really use your expertise and your, your story background. Tell us a little bit about how you were first introduced to Tennessee walking horses. I think it was quite a few decades ago.
8: Yes, thank you. Having always been horse crazy, I had originally spent a great deal of time with the movie horse trainer, Glenn Randall, about 25 years with him. And at one point I decided to get some horses of my own and I was introduced to the walking horse. And we ended up, my husband and I ended up getting some horses and we ended up, I ended up taking one of the 10-year-old broodmare that was unbroke to Glenn for him to help me break her and start training her. And we started in January, and I had never been to Tennessee to the celebration, so I decided that August to go to the celebration. People said, well, you should take the horse. I said, well, she's only half. They said, well, I'd take her. She's really good. So I ended up taking her, and I ended up winning the World Grand Championship.
0: Is that the year you won the World Grand Championship? That's something you and Marty Irby have in common, I understand. Is that right?
8: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm.
8: that's, that's sort of how it began. And then, of course, being around all of the activities that go on with the walking horses and being in the barns, I was exposed to the soaring, and I found that very bizarre.
0: Yeah, bizarre is an interesting word, too. So were you a little bit shocked at first, or did you jump right in there and try to change them?
8: No. At first, they, they tried to tell me that what they were putting on the legs was like ladies' face cream. Huh. And I I kept thinking, well, that doesn't sound right. I don't remember putting any ice cream on horse's legs at Glens, mm-hmm. and so it didn't take me real long time to finally put together what was going on and then after i won the world grand championship they did a lot of equus and horse illustrated and all these different newspapers and magazines did articles on me and i mentioned the soaring and the people in the breed got very upset with me and said well you just you're not to mention the word soaring
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think that sounds a little bit like most people's experience that have been around horses all, their life. You know, a, a long careers sometimes are late in finding out about the tendency of walking horses. What do you say to people who say, "No, that can't be. I've been around horses my whole life." What do you say to that person?
8: Well, I tell them that that's absolutely not up for for debate. I said this is things I've personally observed and. I got together with some veterinarians and we ended up putting together a inspection program that was certified by the USDA to fight the issue and to fight the corruption in Tennessee. And that, of course, put me on the map. And one thing led to another and I received threats and supposed to have been a contract on my life. And I testified in court in Washington, D.C. against what they did and Finally, I, having been in the film industry my whole life, so I got a hold of CNN and CNN special assignment, and I did a expose on the soaring and corruption. Mm-hmm. In I think it was eighty six, and then the following year, they were still going at it and coming after me. So I thought, well, let's do another one. So I got a hold of Current <sighs> Affairs and Maury Povich, and we did another one on them. <sighs> I-
0: yeah, you're a brave lady. Yeah, I understand that you had FBI protection. For yeah, some parts yeah. of that, yeah, they
3: yeah, got very involved.
0: Mm-hmm. That should say enough about who who these people are that are proponents of this. Do you feel like it's a shrieking industry, Donna? It has it, should it have gone away in your mind at this point? I know you you want it to, but it seems like a crazy timeline.
8: Well, it has reduced in size due to the fact that a lot of people were older, and a lot of them are just dying off, literally, yeah. and with the help of the internet and the media exposure, well, it started off with CNN and then current affairs, but we didn't have the internet back then like we do now. And so the internet has really helped to just really squash what's going on and reveal what's going on. You know, people put videos on like YouTube and things about the soaring. Mm-hmm. And so it it detracts from the breed. Now, a lot of the people, well, not a lot, but the, the a lot. Well, a lot of the young trainers now are actually probably sons of old trainers that have died. And yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of carrying on the legacy. But you don't see as many people at the uh, world championship because it used the stadium used to hold about thirty thousand people, and you could have a, a time when there'd be only standing room only. Now you could almost shoot a shotgun through there and yeah. not hit anybody. So it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's been. Reduced in size significantly, not to mention the breed registry used to have about 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. And I think its membership is down. Marty would know better the numbers. I think it's under 4,000. It's like between 2,000 and 4,000 members now compared to 20. So it's it's taking a hit. Mm -hmm. People want to be involved with a breed that's so Mm corruption-based and abuse-based. You know, people, they just, they don't like that kind of abuse to an animal. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm talking to three people now who have worked, gosh, at least 30 years each, so we're talking probably closer to 125, 50 years worth of experience of people who have advocated for the horses. And I thank you all three. Marty, maybe we should rename that celebration a celebration of a reduction in this industry. But it seems strange to me that we're telling, I don't know, people of influence, whether it be in Washington or or otherwise, that this this is a horrible thing. It's an animal abuse problem. Why didn't that go away?
5: Well, I I probably I would say, you know, the main reason that it hasn't gone away is because of political influence and money that the people in Tennessee, very close to Shelbyville and around Nashville, who are deeply involved in the Republican Party there and in Kentucky, have been well funded for many years. And they've given campaign contributions to senators and congressmen from Tennessee and Kentucky, and they've just kept things at a standstill for decades. I mean, you know, it's a whole lot easier to prevent something from occurring in Washington, D.C. than to actually make it happen. Mm. So Donna may want to elaborate on that.
7: Mm
8: -hmm. Well, the, the USDA was sued for allowing this to go on back in um, the eighties and judge Gash in Washington, D.C. came down with his decision in 88 and, I think it was '89. They were they were having the trainer show. I think when the decision came down, and the USDA was instructed that to rethink their position on allowing the pads and the chains on the horses' legs, and the USDA was there to oversee the inspections that were going on for the trainer show, and it was held in Decatur, Alabama, that year. And so what happened was they told them they could go ahead and go in the ring. They just couldn't wear their chains in those big stacks that they wear on the front feet.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: So Reese Smith, a guy that was very politically involved, whose son now, Steve Smith, is Lamar Alexander's campaign chairman, he's also the chairman of the Republican Vault Pack committee here in Tennessee. They got very involved politically and they brought Mitch McConnell into the picture. And within three days, I was in a meeting with Mitch McConnell and all these other breeds that were impacted by the court decision. And this meeting was held in the Senate in Washington, D.C., and that was really the beginning of Mitch McConnell's um, involvement in this breed, and he's been heavily involved in it ever since and received hundreds of thousands of dollars from people that want to keep the soaring status quo, Mm -hmm. and Mitch McConnell has even stated that these boys have been very good to him and he'll never turn his back on them, quote-unquote.
0: Well, there we go. At the end of this, I, I, de- I definitely want to give you some calls to action for our listeners to to do something about it, for sure. But, Dad, Monty, you've been involved with animal advocacy and, and good horsemanship for the bulk of your life. And uh, what is it that you say? You didn't get into the horse industry until you were three about that? That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
7: That's right. I was in the horse industry when I was three, and I actually had a brush with the Tennessee walking horses at about the age of 12, but decided not to uh, get involved any deeper than that. But I, I sort of sit on the side of all of this, and I haven't had my hands directly in the Tennessee walking horse industry, and maybe that's a good thing. But you know, in this conversation, I haven't heard the term "big lip, big lick" mentioned yet, and I heard "world grand championship." And I, I sincerely believe that that must have been the flat shod yes. world Cha- grand championship. That's right. Is that correct, Donna? What I
8: won was in the flat shod division, but the. the- Big state class that most of the Southerners here really love is the big lick state class.
7: I know, but when we all, our team, let's say, when we all speak of this, I think we should never say that we won a world grand championship without saying in the flat shot division with no soaring at all or even the stacks or the chains, because people say Tennessee walking horses, and I heard on this conversation, the term uh, the Tennessee walking horse industry is not something I could support. And it's it, uh, as Marty and I have talked many times, there is nothing wrong with the Tennessee walking horse it's a few people in the big lick section of the tennessee walking horse industry that we need to get rid of and i have i have dealt with uh, cruelty to horses and other animals all my life and standing on the outside most of the time 99% of the time the people that deal this tragedy to horses and other animals will give you what they believe to be good reasons why you have to do this i'm talking now about what the spanish and the south american people do in the breaking process tying the horse up and beating them into submission and so forth and so on they believe or they say they believe that this has to be done very few two three percent ever sit down and say i'm going to Paint this horse with acid and burn his legs, and I'm going to stack his feet up in a totally unnatural position because I want to win a championship It's an overt, conscious, direct attitude toward cruelness to animals that is almost entirely owned by the big lick industry
0: john it, it, and and I appreciate that dad i I do, and I think you know you've been one of those. It's a little bit like David in the Bible. You know, you're, you're the warrior <laughs> up there. And, you know, people are just count now kind of catching up with the Internet and, and all the things, Donna, that you've seen over the years. And Marty, you've seen over the years grow. Uh, there's more exposure. And I think people have a little hard time believing that this little hidden pocket is still there. So we want to eradicate that. We we want this Tennessee walking horse breed to get back to its original natural gate. I mean, it has a beautiful gate. Marty and I have talked about that on this and this podcast before. And Donna, can you give us a little bit of hope? I mean, one of the, the sort of subtitle of Horsemanship Radio is that we're look forward to good stuff coming to horsemanship. You know, we want to look to the future for, for that hope. So is, is there something that can give us hope for that?
8: Well, generally, in my opinion, the people follow the money. So if you end up putting enough stake money into something, then that's going to be the
5: direction they follow. Wouldn't you agree with that, Marty? Oh, I would. And I think that the breed is most definitely growing in the direction of the flat shot horse and the big lick is dying off. I guess the big question is, at what rate is each occurring? And we're seeing more and more flat-shod divisions added to Tennessee Walking horse shows and more and more people getting involved in that segment. And you might have a flat-shod class that now has 25 or 30 horses in it and a big-lick class that is a world grand championship class
7: may not even have two or three or four or five horses in it
0: today. Yeah. Good. Good. But, but, you know,
7: uh, sitting sitting on the outside, this is Monty speaking, Mm -hmm. sitting on the outside... Let's do it this way then. Let's put up a billion dollars to the person that can stab a horse's eyes out the quickest. A billion dollars goes there. Well, if nobody said anything about it, somebody would get the billion dollars and stab out the horse's eyes. If there's no money allowed to be put for overt cruelty to animals, then you will see a change. It doesn't matter. You can't simply keep buying a reasonable attitude here. The Tennessee walking horse will survive and they will beat this eventually. But it will take all of us doing everything we can to say this is wrong and this is right. There's no way that the cutting horses would have made it through if you continued to use barbed wire martingales. Mm-hmm. To train them. And they did, with blood running right down to the hoof on the horse. And as soon as that came out, I know I was one of them that said, We cannot do this. The OMAC suicide race. Mm-hmm. There was a hundred thousand dollars to the winner of the OMAC suicide race. So they jumped these horses off of a cliff into a river. And finally, somebody said, I don't care where you put your $100,000, but you can't do this to horses. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to get through. And I would love to sit down with your politicians myself and and tell them of my history. I'm 85 years old now, and I can still ride a bit and and do some things. And I have worked at world-class level in 52 separate disciplines. And I, I have a case to make for the fact that we will all be happier when there's no overt cruelty to animals.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Marty, Absolutely. Tell,
7: us, tell
0: us the call to action that people can do once they've heard this and they say, OK, I want to make a difference. What do they do?
5: Absolutely. we We actually have two things. First, and in the long run, most important is we have an action alert where you can go and contact your U.S. Senators. The PAST Act has already passed the House of Representatives, and you can contact your U.S. Senators, and you can ask them to co-sponsor the legislation. We have 52 of the 100 U.S. Senators now on board, so there are still 48 more that are available to co-sponsor. And secondly, to contact the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Administrator of APHIS, Kevin Shea, who oversees the program there has tremendous influence over what inspectors would go to Tennessee walking horse shows and when they would go. And we really want to see USDA crack down on soaring, send inspectors that are going to disqualify these horses that have been soared. So we hope that people will contact them and urge them to send inspectors to the big lick shows that begin next weekend.
0: No, is that right?
5: No. Yeah. Even amidst COVID-19 and all of the issues that we're having, uh, they're still going to go on. They postponed them for a few months, but they're still going to go on with these big lick shows in Columbia, Tennessee and Shelbyville, Tennessee. There'll be one in Columbia first and then the, the second one in Shelbyville a few weeks later. But we really want to see the USDA crack down there.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Marty, it's Marty again, and um, I would be so happy for you to pull me in this closer here i am at golden gate fields now in the san francisco bay area and why i am i am here is that an owner has paid a million dollars for a filly that i've had for five months and i've brought her to the track i am here to say that you don't touch her with a whip that you do not put a chain over her gums that you do not do this and you do not do that. I don't even want them to chirp to her. If she doesn't want to run, she doesn't have to run. What I want her to do is want to run. Now, if I'm going that far for you not to put a recognized soft whip on a horse in a race, what, how does that compare to soaring the Tennessee bucking horse? So that's how far I'm going to say that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to, but the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. And if we have discipline after discipline where we allow the horse to want to do it, we will be the shepherds of good horsemanship going on past our lifetimes. If we don't, we will not. And we will continue to see this kind of thing done by people who simply want to win and don't care at what cost it is to the horses.
0: Mm-hmm. There was there was some confusion between the act that passed, which was an animal welfare act. It passed, and some people, was that the yeah. P-A-C-T? And you're looking yeah. for the PAST Act to pass. So yeah, Right,
5: could, right. Preventing, uh, Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act. Yes.
0: Yeah. OK, the
5: name of it. The the other one was signed into law last November. It
0: was. And some people believed that we passed the past act when it really was, which is a wonderful act. And we saw you uh, your photo, Marty, with President Trump and, and many other influencers around him signing that into. So we know that that one's done, but people were not ready yet to sign that pass act, So we, we really do need their help. And we prefer people to utilize the action alert, right, so that we can track them. Is that right, Marty?
5: Yes, absolutely. That way we're able to track how many messages have gone into each congressional office so that then our lobbying team can follow up and say, Senator Blackburn from Tennessee or Senator Shaheen from New Hampshire, whoever it may be, that we know that 364 people contacted your office asking you to co-sponsor this legislation, and you have the support, and we're here to basically close the deal and get you to do it.
0: Yeah, great. You know. And you all count. You all count, you listeners. So, so we need your numbers. We appreciate that. And um, you know, Marty. Well, you and Monty, I think Marty, are coming up with possibly one of the greater influencers there are out there. But there may not be anything to spill the beans on that yet. Am I right, Dad?
7: No, the I can I can talk. In fact, I want to say that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is the most influential world leader we've ever had on the face of this earth. And she doesn't know Donna's story. And I, I would love for Donna to write a concise story about what she's been through. The Queen needs to know this, and uh, he, she knows now uh, about Marty's life and what he is paid to get into this act that we're doing the drive that we have to make this right she knows about marty but she doesn't know about donna and i would love for her to have a quick story on on donna so that she knows what people are doing to try to make this right and the queen quietly influences more than anybody will ever know
0: well donna can we get you that yeah Yes. Wonderful. Please.
7: (laughs) Wonderful. Have soon. This this lady really adores her horses. I know. And her dogs and all animals. And she has been so helpful to the racing industry and, and gets criticism for it. And do I get criticism? I wasn't even supposed to go to Shelbyville because they said I was supporting a terrible group of people called the Tennessee walking horse people. And I was supporting a terrible breed of horses called the Tennessee walking horse. And I'll support the Tennessee walking horse till the day I die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not the horse. It's the people that are the problem. That's it. We need, we need to lock arms on that theory.
8: Mm -hmm.
5: It's a good thing that you did go because you and Debbie and I would have never met
7: had you not. That's oh, yeah. true, and I'm I'm not sure that I would have been a nearly as active in it if you hadn't stepped aside and said, look, I'm going another way. That really put the fire in my harness, and I'm I'm here for you. I'm here for you, whatever you need. Didn't you Thank work you. with... You've always been so wonderful. Didn't he work with Bill? Not Bill.
5: Yeah. William. William. His yes, he, he, he Monty came to Waterfall, yes.
7: Uh, yes, yeah, I, I did. I also, as a child, worked with your man that you mentioned from Hollywood. With Glenn? With Glenn Randall and the whole Randall organization. From 1939 until 1949, for those 10 years, I did probably 180 stunt work films as a as a child, I was a child stunt person, the only one in Hollywood. Wow. My father would rent me out for anything. And uh, oh. I i rode a lot of Glenn Randall's horses. He probably didn't even know who I was because they paid my father in cash. They used no names. I got no credit because you can't have a child doing those stunts. Well, they did. Of and course. I can tell you, I can show you. Footage that would you, you stand your hair on end, you know, but I didn't even know it was anything unusual because my father just kept telling me to do it. Wow. Three out of five movies made in the 40s had a child and a horse, and they couldn't find children stunt people, so my father stepped in and provided that. Wow. And some of the things and stunts they did back in those days were oh. pretty gruesome. I got the, along with Richard Farnsworth and Joel McRae, I got the running W. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, sure you were. And uh, that was banned in 1949. But they continued to use it secretly in say various quiet. places,
9: <laughs> uh, you know,
7: out out in the countryside in various places. But then when it got really tough on them, they went to Mexico with it. That's and right. Then and then Spain and Italy and and uh, Hungary and so forth, but it's banned globally now. The running W is, but there was a fact of people overtly, consciously herding horses, and they killed horses, a stack of them, at every movie. I I I, I cringed when I saw it, but I, I said this is the way the world works, you know. And and then right. Richard Farnsworth and I sat down one night that I remember so well and said, this is enough. We've killed enough horses. We're doing this and there's better ways to do this. And I'm not for banning anything. I just want to make everything better. The wild horse races in rodeo where those horses had never been touched before. And then three people come and just rape them and get a saddle on them and run them in a race for a half a mile with horses running into the fence and people getting killed and horses getting killed. It just had to stop. In 1949, I went to Livermore and the guy that drove me there got killed in the wild horse race. And I couldn't go home. I stayed there for a week till they came and got me. But uh, I've been through it all. And um, I'm happy to to meet with Congress people, to do whatever I need to do to bring my experiences to life and to cause them, with the stroke of a pen, to make the world a better place for horses and people, too.
8: Now, are you indicating that the Queen would be interested in the soaring and want to speak against it?
7: Well, I am telling you that when the Queen learned about the soaring, she is definitely interested. and in Whether she would speak against it. What she does a lot of is working in the background. I understand. And she, she's so influential that way, but, you know, she doesn't want to come out in every cause this way and that way because all the causes. I could tell you about the causes she is working underground with if I had the right to, but I don't. But she's influential, and she doesn't mind me saying that she's influential, and she doesn't mind me saying that she loves her animals. So that'll tell you the story. And um, I I sent her, Debbie can attest to this, and um, know better than I do, but I must have sent her three or four days of
0: reading, Debbie recently? Probably. Yeah, probably. And and she'll read it too.
7: Well, not only will she read it, she telephoned me. I Mm -hmm. think I can say this. Mm -hmm. She telephoned me to say, send me more. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And I thought I was I thought I was overloading her to the max. And she said, No, send me more. I want to know more about this. So the answer is she is on the team. We just have to do it her way, yeah. quietly.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it. She's the greatest encourager, I would say that. And think about all the people that she has encouraged over all these yeah. decades. So yeah, it, and, it, it works.
3: It, it,
7: it, the, her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is more apt to say, let's get $3 billion up for the flat-shod ones, and let's get rid of this other one, and all done without anybody knowing she was influencing it. That's the kind of thing she would want to do.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I well, would there's love not to a have a more
5: respectable oh. or respected person on the planet. I don't think than Queen Elizabeth. So Monty, I think, you know, all of the work you've done with her and even just bringing this topic to the front for her is, is so much appreciated by us. And so many of the sound horse, flat side, natural horsemen out there in the walking horse world that we, we can't thank you enough. I I mean, well, she, she knows
7: Marty Irby right now, as well as she knows her own grandchildren. I'll tell you. (laughs) And,
5: uh, and she respects you. That's really wonderful to hear.
7: (laughs) Well, it's the truth. And, and how many people, she sent me a letter on my birthday and she telephoned me after she got the, the bulk of the Tennessee walking horse things telephoned me to say send me more send me more you know i i'm so proud of that but i i have to respect her request to keep her under the current
0: yeah and so what what i'd like to do i've kept you all long i i i just enjoyed listening i appreciate it what i'd like to do is have donna i'd love to have you back i'd love to hear about the last boy scout with bruce willis you know some of these things that you've done hit series like dark shadows people will remember and you know get some more background on you and then touch base again you know about what the progress is with the tennessee walking horses can we do that again sometime soon that'd be
8: great yeah anytime because i'm retired now from the film industry okay i'm uh I'm actually 73 years old, so I'm not – I started when I was young. A child, <laughs> yeah. a child.
0: A child, he says, yeah. yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and I'll let you all go. I, I appreciate you, and I'd love to have you back real soon.
7: Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Monty, both. Thank, thank you so much. You, thank you all. Let's stay in touch.
9: Thank you. Hi. Hi, Carol Herder here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out, relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
1: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
2: Leave this world a better place in mind.
9: The magic in the language of the
10: Dear Monty. How do you ride a bucking horse? I think there may be a few over-fresh horses coming out at the end of lockdown with riders who will be challenged to sit a buck. I'd love to get some advice from you on the staying on part. I think I can sit a buck pretty well, as riding racehorses taught me to grip with my ankles. There are many roads to Rome, though. How does your dressage-trained rider stay on for a rodeo? Would you have some words of wisdom on this, please? Kelly. Monty's answer. Isn't it coincidental I was planning to ride Chrome today so I could school a particular thoroughbred to respond to the duly halter while being led from another horse? Since Chrome has had an uneventful month or so, I was wondering what to do with him because he will tend to buck when he's fresh. I think your idea is a good one and should be valuable to horsemen worldwide. To my way of thinking, the most important part of these fresh horse rides is what you do before you get on. Prior to putting yourself in the saddle, there's very little chance of being injured by a fresh horse, but once you have one leg on each side of him, you belong to him. The fresh horse can buck you off even if he's the kindest character you could ever imagine. It is what Equus is. Equus represents a flight animal with a world of energy and a deep temptation to buck and play, especially when fresh. Whether the bucking is entertainment for the horse or a serious attempt to get one off his back, injuries occur under either of those conditions. Before I get on Chrome today, I intend to first put him in a turnout to stretch his legs and then have him saddled and released once again in a safe enclosure, watching that he doesn't roll. While I have round pins, any small enclosure with good fencing and reasonable footing will do. I have some rectangular turnouts on our farm, which are about 20 by 40 meters. I have used these with Chrome before and found him to be very prone to buck, run, and play for about four or five minutes. After about four or five more minutes with no bucking, I then feel safe to mount. There was a time in my life where I would simply saddle a horse of this description and get straight on. I found it to be fun to have some bucking and playing under me. Remember, I spent two years riding bulls in professional rodeo. Do not fall into the same category. There is no fun in wearing a cast, and it's not right to subject your horse to being listed as another horse who caused an injury. It isn't fair to the species, and we should show them far more responsibility than my former actions would express. Injuries are not fun to horses or humans, and if you followed my techniques from the beginning with your horse, I would suggest to even resort to longlining experience in the early stages in the process of training one, now for rides or pleasure. Somewhere in my eight books, I suggested that one of the golden rules of good horsemanship is to print with a bold red marker on a piece of paper, safety, First, place one of these reminders in your tack room, another in your feed room, one in your car, one more in your fridge that you you visit several times a day. The lack of attention to safety has caused more people to give up on horses because of irresponsible accidents or even just the fear of having an accident because of the dangerous behavior of the horse involved. People tend not to admit that they gave up on their horse interest because of fear. The fact is, however, a huge percentage of these people Give up on their horses at least in part by a fright they received.
0: For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
7: What in the wide, wide world of
0: sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two legged and four legged. August 3 through 7, it's the Monty Special Training. Then August 17 through 28 is the Gentling Wild Horses Course. And September 11 through 13, we have our next Horse Sense and Healing and our CHA, Equine Facility Management Certification at Flagazette Farms in Solvang, California.
1: And you can find out all that and more when you go to the website, montyroberts.com want to be old school want to talk to a real human being you can give them a call on the phone 805-688-6288 and for details about today's show you can go to horsemanshipradio.com where you're going to find links photos and more information about today's guests and topics and we want feedback that's how debbie gets these great ideas for all these great guests (laughs) go to social media that would be facebook and twitter and instagram and like and follow Monty Roberts on Facebook. It's Monty Roberts, the one with the blue check mark, and on Twitter and Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Easy peasy. They kept it simple for you, so you could. We try. Her.
0: That's right. right. Yeah, it's all about Monty. Yep. <laughs> uh, but where do they find the app? That's where do they find part. the app?
1: Go to your app store on your phone. Whip out your phone. Swipe. Yep. Go to your app store. You can find the app. Download it today. It's Horse Radio Network. It's a free app, by the way. And it works for Android yep. and iPhone. Or if you, again, are old school, you could also listen to all of the Horse Radio Network shows, including this one, Horsemanship Radio, on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher.
0: Many thanks to our sponsors as well. We wouldn't do it without them. Finish Line Fencing and Cavallo Horse and Rider and, of course, com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows too, I do, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.